Every doctor has a minimum of 19 years of education, $189,000 spent to procure it. Most doctors work on average 12 hours a day and 59.6 hours per week. A hospitalist walks five miles a day. They will see between 40,000 and 250,000 patients in their career, spending 5.9 hours documenting their visits. So needless to say, doctors are tired. These are their stories. All right. Welcome to Tired Doctors Talking, a podcast with lovely ladies, Marguerite and Monique, two medical doctors with melanin, discussing morbidity and mortality bi-monthly. How are you doing, Monique? I'm good. Long time no see. No Long time no chat. Yeah. We've been, we've been hard to catch up to. It's like we're busy doctors or something. It's like, it's like we're busy. It's, it's like we both work full-time jobs. Right. Um, and attempt to live a life. Have you been living a life? Um, My life has demanded to be lived because I have a small person who is inside of me who reminds me that I have to pace. So I am now 32 weeks pregnant, which is interesting. Last trimester, eight weeks left. It's all very, very interesting um, and exhausting. So yeah, it kind of reminds me that I have to do things other than just work. <laughs> Did you get your compression stockings yet? I have so many compression socks. Oh, I, I do gosh. love... I do love some compression socks. Yeah. Yeah. I found the real nice ones with like funky patterns. Mm -hmm. So I didn't just have that like pale Barbie skin compression stocking, you know, I was like, no. So yeah, I have a couple of galaxies. Yeah. I'm like, I wear them like two, three times a week, particularly when I'm seeing patients. Well, I'm glad you're doing well. Congratulations on week 32. How are you doing? How's your life outside of medicine? It's going okay. Um, we've had a what Thanksgiving since we last spoke. Yeah, Thanksgiving. Well, yeah, I went down to New York. I didn't have to cook, so that was the exciting part. Um, trying to trying to find a rhythm into everything. Mm-hmm. So um, I got this book called A Simplified Life. It's like. <laughs> The tagline is something like a tactical manual to <laughs> thoughtful living. And like, it like drew me in because I was like, well, I need to be tactical. Like, <laughs> obviously the thing that's missing in my life is a tactical approach. <laughs> and so it, um, it has like a, a section about getting your, your house organized and finding your patterns uh, as to how you can maintain order. But one of the things that um, it suggests is the big purge is to just go through your house and throw out everything that you don't need, like legit don't need. Mm -hmm. And I have taken that as license to just like chuck left and right and left and right. But like, I need to do it in a more methodical way, but it makes me feel good to see like a clean surface. Yeah. Even if it's like just empty for eight minutes. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yes, I have accomplished something. I'm going to be tactical. I can't tell you what like 
the rest of her tips are because I've had the book for three weeks. I'm still stuck on step one. Dude. So I have this hypnobirthing um, audiobook. Hypnobirthing. Have you never heard of hypnobirthing? No, I have. And I don't know why I'm surprised you just said hypnobirthing, but it's just not something that many people say, but continue. So hypnobirthing is this concept of getting into a zen-like zone through labor and okay. with with breathing. These people are liars. Um, <laughs> and really working with your body to deliver this child in a very calm and natural state. I did not read that book. That's not how I gave birth. And that sounds like a lie. You know, the thing is, I've seen people... And I know people who have done it. It's really kind of amazing to watch. Um, I don't think it'll totally work for me, honestly. But I do think it can help me approach it in a more calm and relaxed way. But the problem is, is they have like all these questions that you're supposed to answer. And so like I got like partway through those questions. And I was like, ooh, these are a lot of questions. And that is the reason why I've not gotten past like, the end of the first chapter. Because I was like, this is a lot of questions. I think I'm gonna that's like my that's my response to a lot of things. Like I, we had a like a safety survey at work the other day. And I swear it took me like 18 passes to get through it. Cause every time I clicked on an answer, it's like, do you know where your fire extinguisher is? It's by the window. It's by the door. It's by, you know, so uh -huh. I click, you know, whatever. And then it's just like 18% done. I'm like, oh, God, how safe do I need to be? Uh -huh. <laughs> like, and so then I go do something and come back. And then, you know, it's like, if you get stuck, do you tell your direct supervisor, the priest, the patient, you know, some, some, <laughs> so you, know, you answer the question. It's like, 21 percent oh, i'm like no. oh jesus why you know like it took me so long to get that done because you're right is somebody after so many questions you just get tapped out yep i did it um but it was just yeah so like oh god so, so what would you call your weekly loss this week let's go down before we go up um so this is kind of a silly loss Mm -hmm. but my my children's book reading has been off lately hmm. yeah that's important I I actually before we got started had just finished reading um the animals vacation do you know this book I do not Zoo animals go on vacation and like my voices were all off and it's been like I don't know what's been going on with me it's like <laughs> it was all like I want to go I want to go on vacation too," said the the bear. Like, like, and then and then the next one, I was just like, "Yeah, I want to go back to the forest," says the bunny. Like, like my my voices have been off. I I have bought a few new books for the girls, and so mm -hmm. usually I I know the book and I'm like in the rhythm, but. I've been discovering the book with the girls lately and just like, like making half of it up. There's one called um, Mary had a little glam okay. and it's about, it's a take on Mary had a little lamb, but it's mm -hmm. about Mary going to school and like making everybody 
glamorous because the kids in her class had no sense of style. Um, yeah, it's really funny. It's really cute. Uh, and so, yeah, my I'm like, just my rhythm to reading that, like, I've just been kind of off. <laughs> like, today I was like, oh, come on, mom, you gotta get your head in the game, because pretty soon the kids are gonna start realizing that you're making life up by the fly. Um, so it's it's a silly loss, but um, I, I'm gonna pre-read books from here on out, so I'm prepared for my theatrical debut. You know, that is fair. I've gotten, the one thing I've gotten the most of um, for Mixtape, that's our little gestation name, the thing that Mixtape has gotten the most of is actually books. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're not reading Dr. Seuss books or all these, like, books with meter regularly, it's really easy just to, like, not have the right meter or not, like, miss the rhyme and inflections. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the the like, there's one Dr. Seuss book about like the Snapes with stars or the Snoops with no stars or whatever it oh, is. Oh, the Starbelly Sneetches. Yes. I love the that Star book. Starbelly Sneetches. And that one has a very specific meter mm-hmm. that it took me like three reads to <laughs> to get get it correct. Um, but you're right. If you're not reading, if you're not reading these books. But I will say, I do like rediscovering children's books. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of classics. Like, my mom bought us the um, Peter Rabbit set. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, it's a classic, classic book, you know? Yeah. So you're reading it, and kind of both your eyes and the baby's eyes are glazed over because it's like, Peter Rabbit is in the thicket. Yeah. Oh, Peter eat your blackberries in the thicket of the bush, you know? (laughs) And so it's kind of fun to discover these new books. And I will say um, my husband and I kind of go out of our way to find really diverse books Mm -hmm. and um, a lot of books with little girls of color Mm -hmm. and it's, and they're out there and it's really, there's some really beautiful ones. And there's so more than there used to be. Yeah. And, and they're, they're really, what I enjoy about it is that they're just being little kids. They're just Mm -hmm. being little girls. They're not like going to freedom and like (laughs) overcoming, you know, like Mary had a little glam Mm -hmm. is a little girl of color who likes to wear boas to school. Okay. You know, why not? Right. Go ahead, Mary. Um, one of my favorite ones is a book called Love Is. Yes, we just found that one. It's beautifully it's illustrated. Yeah. Um, the the illustrator, I think she she does some Disney stuff. Like, cause I looked up, because I really just love the illustration so much that I was like, I, if I could get something from her. Mm-hmm. So she, yeah, she's done a few movies. Um but it's a poem about a little girl and her duck, right? And know, it's, it's just so beautifully written and beautifully illustrated. And I I just love it. Um, and so it is fun, especially if your reading game is on, you've got your meter correctly, you know, which one's the bear and which one's the bunny, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and which sneeps have, or sneeches have stars. And like, you got to get a lay of the land because it'll move it'll move and, and you'll be left being like at the end you know <laughs> so. yes 
it's actually, it's the fun thing about getting so many books or the, it's interesting because I feel like a lot of like people of color in the eighties had all of the same books, like bringing the rain to Capiti plane and, you know, Peter's chair and what were some of the other ones? Oh, from Ashanti to Zulu, Emma Furrow's Beautiful Daughters. Okay. Well, it's interesting. So, okay, both me and my best friend have, <laughs> who who grew up in Baltimore, we both, both grew up with all of these books. And part of it was because in the 80s, there was only so many books with like brown people in them. So we all seem to have like the same books with brown people in them. If your parents were like, we're going to get you books with brown people. But it's also very interesting because Stefan is not black or brown. Um, and he's like, uh -huh. oh, I know, right? <laughs> and and he's like, there's there's a book about bringing the rain to Petey Plain. I'm like, yeah, it was a it was a reading rainbow book. It's this great book. And he's like, nope. I'm like, oh, yes, yeah, in the Shanti to Zulu. And he's like, nope. <laughs> it's just like, oh, wow. And there are like the little golden books, which we both had growing up. Yeah. But it's interesting just like what children's books some people got and other people didn't. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't know any of those books. Um, I did a lot of my I can read books as a little kid. The little oh, I remember those, yeah. Um, and a lot of classics, um, you know, so, mm -hmm. yeah. And I think I think it's really fun. Um, a friend of mine got me a book called My Heart Sings, and it's a, mm. really just kind of a compilation of scenes in Native American life, mm -hmm. you know, um, and it's just, yeah, there's just so many beautiful things out there. Um, I actually, and then we'll move on. I get a lot of tips from the um, New York Times book section. They have like a children's section. Oh. Hmm. Yeah. And one of the books that they suggested was called The Dead Bird. Okay. And I, so I looked at, at it online. It had really beautiful pictures uh -huh. and it's like, oh yeah, it's like a, you know, kind of tells kids a little bit about death. And I was like, oh, well, that's a topic. And like, I don't know how to right. approach it. So, and it's written by the person who wrote Goodnight Moon. And I was like, well, oh. that's great. This person, you know, classic book that's turned into everything like from like Goodnight Boston to good night there's like good night everything like good night or something like that at this point you know um that book is kind of kind of deep <laughs> like it's kind of like they find this dead bird and i don't know what i was expecting when it said it was about death <laughs> it's like they find this dead bird, dead bird and they're like the bird was cold and stiff i was like oh i don't know we need to discuss rigor mortis i just thought they'd just say like there was a dead bird. It is not live. I ran away and played high five. Like I, that's what I thought it would say. But it gets into like a burial ceremony. Like there's like a ritual. Like the kids oh, cool. dance around the dead bird. I, I'm glad you think it was cool because I was kind of like, this is from the Good Night Moon Lady. Like I don't know how I feel about this, but it's really beautifully illustrated. It's taken me a while to to warm up to the book, but I will say, had it not been on the New York Times children's book list, I probably would have not even thought about it. Mm -hmm. And I'm not mad that I have the book because someone, you know, a hamster is going to die. 
Right. We're going to have to talk about a dead hamster. Mm-hmm. So that's that's it. So that was your loss. Yeah. Um, my win. Mm. Well, you. Uh, we were just talking about it. The, my youngest has been having some allergy issues and like getting her through them to yeah. me has been a win. That is and huge. Because I am I'm not a pediatrician and I am a mom and I get really scared when things happen to her and that I get worried about now I'm kind of in this phase of like what do I feed her <laughs> like will she react to everything you know and so kind of like talking myself down through that to be able to make her some mashed cauliflower today which promptly was rejected but I still <laughs> gave <laughs> A dietitian friend of mine was telling me that you have to give uh, food to them 74 times. Or mm-hmm. I always thought it was 17. So Carol was like, no, 74. I was like, 74? Mm-hmm. I don't even think I eat stuff 74 times before I decide whether or not. I give it like a good two bites and I'm like, eh, we're good. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so I guess we'll be doing 73 more mashed cauliflower. <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah, that that to me has been a win to to get through all of that stuff. Yeah. It's a process, but getting through it, I should say. How about you? So my loss, so it's not it's not exactly a loss. It's 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 a frustration to me. And part of it is just the fact that like being, pre- I've watched pregnant people. I've, I've been an, a obstetrics provider now for, you know, over six years and I've been on the other side, but it's very different being on the inside of it. And I, was unprepared for the demands that it makes upon my body. For example, I had a full clinic yesterday where I was also the point person and the only person who did Suboxone. So like I was had a lot of hats on and literally at the end of the day, I went home, we finished like 5.30 and I went home and I was exhausted to the point of tears. I was so tired. And it's like, it's a Monday. Like I just had the weekend. Like I had sleep. Like it's not like I didn't have, you know, reasonable reserves coming in, but still at the end of the day, they were depleted. And I finally just like, you know, admitted. And I sent a message to like my you know, clinic director and all the folks being like, Hey, so I know in my head and right now I'm scheduled to go all the way up to I'm due February 3rd. And I was scheduled to work until January 31st. Maybe, maybe I should not be doing that because I don't know if I'm literally going to be physically able because this morning when I woke up, I was so exhausted. I could not brush my teeth at the time I was supposed to be leaving the house. So, you know, and I hate canceling clinic 
but I also had to acknowledge that that was the right thing for me to do today. And it was appropriate for me to listen to my body. And, you know, you know, as one of the um, pregnancy educators always reminds me, it's like, you work a full-time job and being pregnant is a full-time job. So right now you have two full-time jobs and it is reasonable for you to be like, Hey, I need to step down. I need to step out. I need to step back. So, you know, it is that my filter is gone. Pregnancy has stolen my filter. It's gone. I don't have it. I do have it in the patient rooms um mostly but like in the back office it is totally gone i am just saying some things that i would normally not ever ever say like someone was asking me about something the last week and my little response is i don't know i'm wrong about fucking shit every day and i was like whoa <laughs> it's like that is not something i would normally say in the office um, Can I tell you that I'm kind of loving this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind, because what I've heard is that my superhuman friend has realized that she's human, and um, I'm I'm excited for you to embrace that because you have got to slow down and take care of yourself because. This is the easy, I remember my mom always said that to me, that like, oh, this is the easy part when the baby comes with you everywhere. And like, you know, when moms talk, you're kind of like, all right, crazy old lady, you know? Mm -hmm. But like now the kid is, the kid is portable and doing the thing you want it to do. It is like right there. My kid right now, I'm watching her. She has been fighting sleep for like an hour right now. Like just (laughs) two year old is like jumping up and down and she's screaming, mommy. And I'm like, well, you're just gonna have to do the thing that you're doing. But um, yeah, when they're like out and about and, and they have needs and they're crying and it gets more complicated, you you like I know it's so right to say, but you gotta take care of yourself. And I don't think I've met a woman who has figured out how to do that really well immediately. Right. And because you're still in this like superhuman mode. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm excited for you to like pump the brakes, relax a little bit, take care of yourself. There's a, there, and, and here's the other truth that my mother told me, like, she's like, never cross a pregnant woman because her tongue is like fire. Yes. And it is true. It mm-hmm. is true. There was, there was the toast and did I tell you about the toast incident? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> I was at work. And I put my my English muffin in. This lady comes by and she shoves my English muffin with her finger to put her English muffin in. Uh. And I was like, I was like real pregnant at the time. And I was like, you touched my English muffin. And she's like, what? I was like, I saw you. I saw you touch my English muffin with your finger. Why would you touch somebody's English muffin? Why? Like, what made you get up? in this morning and decide you're going to touch English muffins. And I I like painted this woman as some English muffin molester. (laughs) I was like, do you just go around touching English muffins everywhere? You know? And pretty soon I was like, I need to leave before I don't have a job to support this child because here I am 
just <laughs> I don't know who this lady is touching English muffins. I was like, you did. I saw you. I saw you touch the English muffin. <laughs> you know, like it just doesn't doesn't get any better, honey. One of our first practitioners today was saying something, and then I mentioned something, and she brought up um, the Big Bang Theory. I find the Big Bang Theory highly offensive because I feel like it is nerd face. Like, this black face, it's nerd face. It is written by people. Oh, the show. The I show. thought you were talking about, like, like actual. Actual theory. theory. No, I'm talking about the TV show. Like, I was like, because I, I am a nerd. I've had these conversations. I've had them better than they had on this show. The show is terrible. It is nerd face. And how dare you? Like, I ran this woman down. <laughs> you think everyone's gonna show up to halloween as the flash that is some bullshit everyone's showing up as batman this makes us i've had that conversation this is it is nerd face it is offensive and i am offended that you even brought it up in nerd face. I, can, I just went off on her and i was like oh my gosh yes no i should walk away walk away mm-hmm. now before mm-hmm. i say more i think about- i think every woman who's been pregnant has that my mother evidently cursed out a rabbi over a parking space when she was pregnant with my youngest brother and then like threatened to call the cops on him or something like that like at his own shul (laughs) (laughs) and she was like well he was in my parking space I was like but you don't own it but but when you're pregnant it doesn't yeah (laughs) you get and you know you get a free pass the same pass you get when you're like elderly Mm-hmm. Um, and you you know part of that frontal lobe is either gone or you've just decided to put it to the side and or your you know, uterus is stealing all the blood so, so. <laughs> well i i'm 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 excited for you to a understand to listen to your body relax mm-hmm. sit down put your feet up with your compression stockings on a cup of cup of tea watch some tv because it's not gonna happen again so just enjoy it so that leads me to my win so my win actually has to do with english muffins um and enjoying things i have recently started watching the great british bake-off (gasps) which season i i started at the earliest season i could find on 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 Netflix. netflix yeah and that movie is that TV show is so strangely soothing. It's like it's you're in the English countryside. There's classic music. Yeah. Like proofing are, oven. The proofing of it. Like and then you think I need a proofing oven, right? I mean, you, I should get a proofing oven. That's what I well think. no. I will I will say that when Stefan did his um my my husband made um high protein um cornbread today and i was like that was a good bake, a good bake. <laughs> no soggy bottoms no, no soggy bottoms there's a perfect golden brown the nice bit of moistness in the middle is not dry it's a good bake. can i tell you what i really liked about that show i what? learned how to ex- inspect bread like when paul hollywood just takes mm-hmm. a loaf of bread and just tears it in half and he yes. like smells it and he's getting all in it i'm like this man is like really getting into that bread situation and then he tells you all about like the gluten and i'm like man i i learned a lot my mom and i watched all the seasons that were on netflix Mm -hmm. and um 
this one she was living with us and, and helping take care of baby number one and like it would i would get home and she's like want to watch bake off i was like of course i want to watch bake off <laughs> you just got you do you get sucked into it yeah. and then what cracks me up is i don't know if you're at this point but you start critiquing like your paul hollywood or mary berry uh-huh. and you're like well well, I don't know about that fondant. Like, I could make a fondant. You know what I mean? <laughs> You're like, obviously, she's very sloppy with her tech. Yep. She has no purpose in being in this show. You know, if you're not going to bake right, don't even show up. Please. There's no shine yeah. on the chocolate. Like, you know, if you put the chocolate right, if you had yeah. the temperature of cooling, it would have this nice shine. There's no shine on your chocolate. But, yeah, I... And and the thing I love the most, because I I have watched a lot of Food Channel, so I've watched like Chop, and I've watched like Cutthroat Chicken, uh, Cutthroat Chicken, Cutthroat Kitchen, but like I love the fact that like at the end they're like, look, you're not going to be joining us next week. Don't stop baking. Let us hug you. Like good job, good show. Like you know, we hope you have a great like life. And they're just so kind and just like you know polite and british and it's just hilarious to me i feel like no i feel like they should banish them <laughs> like that's the one thing that i was i was like they're just yeah they're too nice of them they should be like get out of here with your trash soggy bottom <laughs> it's so supportive it's such a supportive conducive place to like learn like that's you shouldn't thing. be learning you're supposed to be the best baker in your hamlet but they're still amateurs. They're not professionals. That's the whole point. Hamlet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. British <laughs> small I, I, town. But I find it very relaxing and soothing. So that's why I did last night when I came home so exhausted. I was exhausted to tears. I'm like, I'm just gonna take I'm just gonna take my food and sit and watch the great British bake off. That's and it was perfect. perfect. That's like a perfect that's a perfect night. Mm-hmm. I, I wish I could have joined you. Wow. Oh, fun, fun. So moving on, we've been having some really good conversation about opiates and pain and the history. I really learned a lot when you were talking about the history of opiate use. And and I still owe you a visit to Phineas Gage's um, rod. Yay! But you know what I mean. I know what you mean. Uh, when you come visit um and today we're going to be talking about alternatives to opiates yes um and so this is really we're going to be talking about and i see on our list we have a couple of yeah only one where we talk about um yoga and exercise and things like that but the truth of the matter is for people listening there are so many alternatives and opportunities to try something other than oxycodone vicodin percocet the things you hear about all the time and the things that you know people rightly have some trepidation about um and don't be afraid to ask your doctor like is there something else i can have you know you have the right to ask questions and you know everyone has a reason for not wanting something or do want something um so i will say that i have had opiates twice 
And like both of them, I just could not tolerate. I had a very small surgery on my wrist and they started with my anesthesia induction. And they said, okay, we're going to give you some um, Versed. And Versed is not an opiate. Versed is a benzodiazepine, kind of like a Valium, but like mm-hmm. hardcore, like hardcore. <laughs> and um, I literally said, I don't know what's the point of giving all this Valium. And they were like, what do you mean? I was like, it's not even like it does anything. And they were like, well, your surgery's over. what are you talking about (laughs) you know um and I yeah I just I I was kind of confused I know that they I'm not sure which opiate they mix it with but they mix it with something I was kind of confused I ended up having absolutely no pain afterwards and not needing the prescription um but then for my induction I did get um some pain control during day number two of my induction and I slept through day number two. Was that fentanyl? I don't think it was fentanyl. Okay. I'm not sure. I honestly don't. I want to say maybe started with a D. I don't, mm. I'm not sure which one they gave me, but I legit, like my husband like woke me up every so often was like, eat something. I was like, mm, you eat something. You know, like, <laughs> like I like slept through the day and I did not mm-hmm. like that. I felt really, and so it's not something that I'm willing to really entertain again. Should I need something? I'll, I'll ask for, you know, maybe a Toradol, you know, something right. like that. Um, so there are options. So Marguerite's going to tell us all about yeah. some alternatives. Yeah. Cause this is, this is kind of my, I feel like almost my bread and butter. Like I literally do this all day, multiple days um, of a week. And, you know, the the funny story I always have to tell is there was a patient who, um, you know, whenever you're on a controlled substance for a long period of time, you have to get regularly urine drug tested. Um, it is part of the requirements from the federal government. And one of my patients came up and it was a, she ended up having a stimulant that she was not prescribed. So I was like, well, you know, I can't prescribe you. You have to come back and give a clean urine, we have to figure out what's going on here, this, that, and the other. And she was very upset. And I happened to see her partner later. And her partner was like, well, you know, she said you d- you took her off of all her pain medications. And I went down her list. And I was like, well, she is on, you know, Mobic. She is on gabapentin. She is taking magnesium. She has topical lidocaine. She is on amitriptyline and she is on Cymbalta. So she's actually on six different things for Mm -hmm. her other than the opiate. And he was like, oh, oh, I should go talk to her. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So So, there's lots and lots of options. And I like how you broke this down in our. planning session and we're going to talk about pain based on the type of pain it is so first we're going to talk about inflammatory pain so what what is inflammatory pain and what does it feel like i'll just give a quick little run through and then you you can talk about the meds and i always tell my patients the body is very very good at becoming inflamed Mm -hmm. it's not really good at becoming uninflamed and inflammatory pain is the tennis elbow the um, burning pain you get from around an abscess. 
um, you know, uh, your toothache. When the tissue is red, hot, or the joint is aggravated and swollen, that is inflammatory pain. And the body's really, really good at becoming inflamed. It is not good at becoming uninflamed. And so that's where if you're going to be like addressing this pain, you have to address the inflammation because that's what's causing the pain. So giving an opiate for an inflammatory pain is not treating the pain. Mm -hmm. So what can we use to treat inflammatory pain? And the most common inflammatory pain that we talk about is usually degenerative joint disease or arthritis, Mm -hmm. which everyone if we live long enough, we will get to hang out with Arthur. I call so, it earning, earning yeah. some arthritis. Yeah. So the, the classic anti-inflammatory is actually um, one we don't use very commonly, which is a steroid, but they also have lots and lots of side effects. So sometimes if you're coming in with an acute pain, you like an acute, like knee, you might get a short, what we call a steroid burst, or sometimes your doctor will say, okay, well, I took an x-ray of your knee. I can see it's just arthritis. I'm going to give you a steroid injection to help reduce the inflammation in your knee. Now, those are things you can't do every day. Now, if we're looking at everyday things, we use non-steroid anti-inflammatories. So those are the things that we know about, things like Aleve, Motrin. So Motrin, which is also ibuprofen and Advil, they're all that same ibuprofen. We call those NSAIDs. You'll you'll hear healthcare providers say NSAIDs or NSAIDs. And that's kind of short for non, not kind of, that is short for non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug. And then there's a couple you can, that are prescribed. So things like um, diclofenac or Voltaren, um, that's prescribed. It's a twice a day medication. Um, Mobic or Meloxicam, that is a once a day anti-inflammatory. Um, Celebrex, that's another twice a day anti-inflammatory. So all of these are non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, which people will use on, you can use on a daily basis, as long as you're using them at the right doses. Right. You also don't want to have two of them at the same time because they are processed by the kidneys and they can end up causing some harm to the kidneys. And also the stomach lining. Yes. That is the most common side effect. Yeah, so people often say, oh, I can't take Advil. It upsets my stomach. Um, Upsetting your stomach is one thing. The thing that we get concerned about as physicians is bleeding. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, for instance, when I uh, fell down that hill in Lesotho (laughs) and I was on like a ton of ibuprofen, I just kept saying like, I, one day I'm just going to start bleeding. Never did. Um, But that's the concern. And so um, if you are taking high dose ibuprofen um, and you find some blood in your stool, you need to let people know. Yes. You mentioned Celebrex mm-hmm. um, and that is also an NSAID, but that differs from ibuprofen. It's not going to cause as much of a risk of GI bleed, mm-hmm. but it does come with some other risks, which are cardiac. 
Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Cardiac risk. Sorry. My pregnancy brain. I'm blaming everything. <laughs> on um, But yes, you can, it does come with some increased cardiac risk. So those are things that we watch very carefully and we choose the patients who we would give that to very carefully. Um, if you have what we call radicular pain, which it, it feels like an electric like shock goes down mm-hmm. your leg, um, that's also a type of neuropathic pain. So just like with inflammation, you want to treat the inflammatory pain, you want to treat the inflammation. With neuropathic pain, again, giving an opiate is not going to treat that pain. You want to address the actual cause of the pain. And so what are we using for neuropathic pain? So for neuropathic pain, um, the first things that we found that we could use are also in the antidepressant, anti-anxiety um, meds. Um, they are called the tricyclics. So these are things like amitriptyline or nortriptyline. Now, one of the big differences, because these were big, scary medications back in the day, is that the doses that you would use are significantly less. So whereas if we were treating depression, we might use 100 milligrams of nortriptyline. If we're just trying to treat your pain, um, we would use something like 5 to 20 to 25 milligrams. Um, And we usually take it at night because these do make you really sleepy. And in fact, a lot of people will use them just for sleep. Um, So those were the first things we found that helped with neuropathic pain. The second kind of category were things that specifically target the nerves. So these are things that, you know, literally go right to the nerves and help lower the signal that those nerves are sending related to pain. So these are things like gabapentin and Lyrica. Gabapentin and Lyrica are sister medications. They're slightly different formulations of the same, of a similar medication. Gabapentin is actually a not controlled medication. Lyrica is because for a while it did have a little bit of a street value. So it became a controlled medication. Um, The thing I love the most about this group of medications is the dosing range. So if someone was to start someone on gabapentin for neuropathic pain, You can start as low as 100 milligrams just at bedtime or even three times a day, but the maximum dose is 900 milligrams four times a day. So it has this lovely wide range. So you can really dial in to say, okay, what I really need to do is take 300 milligrams in the morning, and then I need to take maybe 300 milligrams in the afternoon, and then at night, I need to take 800 milligrams to sleep. And you can do that because it's such a wide range and it's all within a safe realm. So both gabapentin and Lyrica are wonderful neuropathic pain. They're also really good for the chronic pain diseases that I talked about, things like fibromyalgia or chronic pain syndrome. They're also some of the first line medications as are all the neuropathic medications. The last way we target the nerves is in the category we call the antispasmodics. So those are things that we used to use for seizures. The main one we use is Topamax. Topamax or or Torpiramate used to be used for seizures. 
it was a crappy seizure medication. We have way better seizure medication now. But what we found out is that, again, in its lower doses, it's really good for nerve pain. And again, if you think about how seizures are caused, it is directly going to nerves and helping lower the nerve signal. So, you know, Topamax is a great medication. And I use these medications Again, I usually try to get a two for one. So if someone's like, oh, I'm having a hard time and I can't sleep, then I say, oh, maybe you should try an amitriptyline or a nortriptyline. If someone's like, oh, I'm having all this nerve pain and I'm really anxious, actually gabapentin and Lyrica both have indication for anxiety. So I'll say, hey, well, let's try some gabapentin. If someone's like, oh, I really, really need to lose weight and I'm having all this nerve pain, well, guess what? Topamax actually has indications for weight loss. So I'll say, well, let's try Topamax. So, you know, this category has a lot of opportunity. And the other thing is a lot of these medications can be used together. So if you're not getting it just with the gabapentin, you can try the amitriptyline because they target the, the same problem in different ways. I love it when they find... Um like drugs that are bad at the thing they were supposed to do but good at something else like that's viagra right it was supposed to <laughs> it was supposed to like grow hair um they gave it to a bunch of bald men who were happy either way you know they were like i'm still bald but you know what i'm getting it's not that bad <laughs> you know so i think that's interesting um the next next is muscular pain so what does muscular pain feel like muscular pain um, we often call it myalgias um, as well. And that's that like crampy, like your everything just kind of hurts and you don't want to move, standing up, sitting down, going up the stairs, the, your legs, your muscles. And sometimes they can even just be tender to the touch. Mm-hmm. You know, um, um, maybe you have earned it by going out and trying to do some hardcore exercises and, you know, now, now you're a little beat up. Um, maybe you have it from some other medical issue that you have, you know, people can often have muscle pain if, if they have joint pain and they're walking bad on one knee. So they're compensating with the other leg. And the next thing you know, you know, they've got some muscle pain in their back and some muscle pain in their thigh from compensating. Um, and then if you are having just a generalized muscle achy pain, you know, I would suggest you see your primary care physician and make sure it's not a med- medication side effect mm-hmm. uh, or an illness, right? Because the flu can start with the just, I feel cruddy and everything hurts. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing you know, you've got a nice case of the flu. You know, um, so if you do have just a generalized, I don't know why I feel like this, go ahead and talk to your primary care doctor. But let's say, Marguerite, I I did try some CrossFit, like the time that I did try some CrossFit (laughs) (laughs) and I had some legit muscle pain. And notice I said the time because I only did it once. I only did it once. Yeah, that's fair. So how would I treat my muscle pain? So, you know, everyday muscle pain and a lot of people, folks with arthritis do have muscle pain as well. Again, because those your muscles are trying to protect those joints that are angry. So it's very common that they go together. Um, this is where you might use heat. So heat and honestly, 
hydration are always my first go-tos because when muscles are working, they're building up lactic acid and that's normal. They're supposed to make lactic acid. That's how they actually function. But if you're not hydrating and appropriately flushing out that lactic acid, if your muscles are not regularly stretched, so they're releasing that lactic acid, lactic acid will irritate the muscle. And that's how you get that cramping, achy feel. So heat and hydration is always the first one. And people will say, I drink plenty of water. And I will say, how much water do you drink? And I'll say, oh, I have like three bottles a day. And I'm like, what size are the bottles? They're like, oh, they're just like the ones you get from the supermarket. And I'm like, what color is your urine? And they're like, yellow. And I'm like, you're not drinking enough. <laughs> if your urine is yellow, that's telling me that your body still feels like it is more important to save the water than to send it out of your body. So I always say, how hydrated should you be? Drink water until your urine is clear. And let me tell y'all, I'm pregnant. So this is a challenge. <laughs> do it every day. <laughs> Just I'm not as strict, guys. I say light yellow. <laughs> like I'm not, I, cause I just, yeah, I don't make people drink that much water, but she's right. You need to be, we're all, we are all underhydrated. We're all dehydrated in this country. So um, that's kind of the first go-to. Then I actually talk to people about magnesium. So everyone thinks about potassium when you have a cramp, you're like, Ooh, you should have a banana. You should have a kiwi. Kiwi has more potassium than bananas guys. You're like, ooh, I should have, you know, maybe I should take a potassium supplement. But potassium and magnesium are actually in balance in your body. Mm -hmm. And you actually need both of them in order for your muscles to release. The actual, you know, the actual channels on the muscles, you need both of them for your muscles to relax. So a lot of times I'll tell people to take 400 milligrams of magnesium. And it's a reasonable thing to do at night if you're at the end of the day, if you're feeling sore. Magnesium can also help sleep. So I say, go ahead and take 400 milligrams of magnesium. And then if you're doing both of those things, you're like, look, I've been using heat every day. I've been taking my magnesium. I've been trying to stretch as well as I can. Then I often say, okay, well, do we need to do some extra physical therapy? So Physical therapy is a marvelous tool. I have done physical therapy three times formally. Um, one time when I hurt my back in Peace Corps, oh, four times. What Another time when I sprained my ankle and I was dancing in graduate school, I took it just this past spring when I actually had a, one of the muscles called the piriformis was really tight and it was pressing on one of my nerves and causing some weakness. So I did it then and I'm pregnant and I'm doing it now. So physical therapy is an amazing tool um, that you can go to your primary care doctor and say, Hey, I've been doing all these things. This has been lasting. Can I get some physical therapy? Awesome. Yeah. Yoga, PT. Um, those are, those are very, very helpful. And, and sometimes also just aerobic exercise in general, yeah. get out, move your body, move the muscles, uh, move the muscles. You'd be surprised how much that just kind of loosens things up and also helps your mood. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I, I read that sweating makes you look younger. <laughs> it's all that moisture. It's a little, moisture. little glisten. It's a little glisten. Um, the last two ones we want to talk about were Tylenol and lidocaine. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of non-specific pain stuff, mm-hmm. headache, aches, pains, toothache here and there. Um, Tylenol is Tylenol is a great medication. Um, people often say, oh, it does nothing. And I often think like, that's because you haven't really taken Tylenol in a very long time. Um, because as an inpatient, you know, we know that when people get up and moving them, then you will leave the hospital faster. You know, mm-hmm. a body at rest stays at rest. Um, and you may end up in a position that is really, really unfortunate. So please, please, please follow the directions when you're taking Tylenol and when you're giving it to small children. Again, it has a very small therapeutic window and it works a lot better than you probably think it does. The other thing I always like to talk about with Tylenol is the fact that um, Tylenol can be used in combination with anti-inflammatory medications. Mm-hmm. And what we know about using those two therapies together, so if you're taking a leave twice a day, you actually will get better and more pain relief if you're taking a leave with Tylenol twice a day. It actually has a synergistic effect and you get more pain relief than either one of them. There was was actually a head-to-head study between ibuprofen and Tylenol compared to opiates. And it actually showed that when it comes to actual pain relief, Tylenol and ibuprofen does better than opiates because you're actually targeting pain rather than causing your body to just ignore it. And the last one that I talk about, especially to some of my older folks who have extraordinarily bad arthritis and they just can't get up and they just can't get out and they're really needing something just to kill the pain is lidocaine patches. Lidocaine patches, lidocaine gel, it does exist over the counter. You don't need a prescription for it. Um, The prescription version is actually extremely extraordinarily expensive for no apparent reason that I can tell. Um, So, but you can get packages of like 10 pack of 10 patches and people will definitely put it on their shoulder, put it on their back, put it on their knee. And that can kind of help them, especially like that first time in the morning, first bit in the morning, just to kind of get up and moving. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really not that far off from the prescription. The prescription is 5% lidocaine patch and the stuff you get over the counter is 4%. Right. Um, so, you know, ask your pharmacist to point you in the direction and, you, you know, there's lidocaine, um, also, <laughs> this is this type of pain is kind of on a you know a different bucket, but um, there's also topical lidocaine that is very helpful for hemorrhoids. Yes, um, I know we're not talking about hemorrhoids, but it is a pain that people don't want to talk about because they kind of get embarrassed. Um, but it's inf- it's an inflammatory pain because those tissues are all hot, red, inflamed, and angry. Um, and so you do treat it with steroids, but they have topical lidocaine for that. And I'm also saying that because I've known some people who also use a topical lidocaine, just kind of that cream and just rub it on a shoulder and stuff like that. And they say it works for them, um, 
to give them a little bit of relief. And for our folks with kidney failure who can't take anti-inflammatories because those are processed for the kidneys, there are topical anti-inflammatories as well. So you can, you know, there's the Asper cream you can get over the counter. Right. Um, there's actually a Voltaren gel that you can get prescribed. There's a diclofenac patch too, right? There is a diclofenac patch too, yeah. yeah. So you can, you know, especially folks who have really bad hand arthritis, I know they'll get up and just use some of that gel in the morning or, you know, they'll rub some Asper cream on their knee before they get going. So there are other topical ones. And the nice thing about topicals is that you're not getting a systemic effect. So a lot of the other side effects people will have with them, you will have, you know, less to very little of that because it's not being absorbed throughout your entire body. So the point of all this is that there are options out there. There mm -hmm. are really good options. And these options are targeting the cause of the pain. Um, and really, that's when you're going to get true relief is when you bring down the swelling in your knee. You know, and when you're really targeting the neuropathic pain and when you've got your yoga and you're now more flexible and you're moving in a safer manner, those are the things that are really long-term treatments um, for pain. And as I mentioned at the beginning, a lot of times you can use them in combination. So it's reasonably like, oh, I am on, you know, I have, I take Cymbalta, but I also take, um, you know, ibuprofen and then, you know, I do heat yoga and hydration with some yoga, you know, and I use some Tylenol if the day is really, really bad, or I use a lidocaine patch. The, a lot of these things can be safe in combination, but you do want to follow up um, and make sure that you are um, working with your prescriber, with your physician um, with your doctor to make sure that everything is safe for you to take and you're not going to have any problems. And then, yeah, get labs once a year. That's not going to hurt anyone. All right. Well, moving on, um, we have a question from a student. Woo! Yeah. Send those questions in, y'all. Oh, and if you want me to do any more history of medicine things, those are really fun for me. Yeah. Um, so I, I know the student a little bit and she and I have been worked at working together and so I'll read her question and I'm going to let you take it since she and I have worked together a little bit. It says, um, I am currently a freshman at the University of Connecticut majoring in health sciences on a pre-medical track. I was wondering how do I best prepare in my undergraduate years to make sure I am ready to apply to medical school, specifically what do medical schools look for in a competitive candidate? Also, I was wondering what classes are most essential, most, see? <laughs> I told you my reading has been off. What, what classes are most essential to complete in order to apply to medical school? Lastly, how do I study for the MCAT? That's a lot of questions. A lot. That's a lot. Okay, let's break this up. And see, I'm going to give you a minute and a half to answer. Okay. Um, what is the best way you suggest she prepare her undergraduate years to make sure she's ready to apply? So I would say the biggest things to do in your undergraduate years to make sure you're ready to apply is have your medical prerequisites. Which so biology, a year of biology, 
a year of general chemistry, a year of organic chemistry, a semester of biochemistry, a year of physics, a year of English. So those are the most common medical prerequisites. Now, some people will say, well, instead of biochemistry, do psychology, because there are now psychology questions on the MCAT. So there's a little bit of wiggle room in that one, but all the rest of them are fairly standard. And then do, so those are your prerequisites, but it doesn't have to be your major. So do a major that you're interested in and that you will keep you awake in class that you will want to go to and then do extracurriculars, do something fun. What is your passion? You know, is it dance? Is it baking? Is it, you know, singing? And then try and see if there's a way you can work that in with community service because medicine is a service career. We are serving our fellow men, we are serving our patients. So I would say that kind of well-rounded person, the one who has their prerequisites, is doing something that they're really interested in and they want to talk about, has an interest outside of just medicine and is doing service, that is kind of like a really good package for a medical school. Awesome. Okay. Um, well, you answered that competitive question. And lastly, how do I study for the MCAT? So this is very dependent on you. Um, one, it's important to know how you personally study, how you do on standardized tests. I am a crappy standardized test taker. I really, really suck at it. So the first time I did it, I did the Kaplan course. Um, spent a lot, a lot of money and a lot, a lot of time. And it actually did not help me that much. Um, I ended up taking the MCATs twice because the first time I did not get into medical school, I got into medical school my second time. Um, the second time I took the MCATs, um, I just got the books and I studied and I did practice tests. One of the things that gets me is timing. Um, I think a lot and I think a lot about each little individual thing. And so that was something I had to learn about myself. So I do better rather than learning about strategies and this and that and the other to just take tests and take tests and take tests and time myself. And that is more useful to me doing a whole test and then reviewing it than, you know, doing questions or doing reviews or other things. So it really does depend on how you study and you do best. If you're an amazing, awesome, you know, test taker, exam taker, and really your problem is content, then maybe studying more in the books would be more useful to you, you know? And I would recommend taking the MCAT, you know, if you're going straight through as soon as you can after you've taken all your prereqs, so everything is fresh, if you're taking time off, then I do think going back and hitting the books and reviewing all those big topics um, and even using some of the review books to know what major topics they look at can be really useful. Awesome. Well, I'm going to give um, my friend a little bit of unsolicited advice that's not in this question. And I tell her this when I speak to her, you are a freshman. 
enjoy yourself a little bit. You medical school will always be there and it's a long road and it's a long process. Um to get there, to get through it and to continue doing it. And if you haven't figured out how to be you along the way, it's going to be that much harder. So yeah, pick a major or minor that you're interested in, join a dance troupe, a poetry thing, go out with your girlfriends on a cheap flight to Miami. You know, you still got to live through it. Um, and so you're, you're only a freshman and enjoy the journey. So I will honestly say it is also okay if you get through some of your prereqs or you get through the first part of your freshman year, you get to be your sophomore year and you realize that you don't want to be a doctor anymore. That is okay. And honestly, you know, I like to give the advice that my sister gave me. My sister is an orthopedic surgeon. She's 10 years older than me. And we both wanted to be doctors since we were like seven or before. We both wanted to be doctors from very, very early on in life. And the advice my sister gave me is don't ever become a doctor if there is anything else you can do that will make you 100% happy. Because becoming a doctor is a very long, arduous, expensive road. And if you could do something else and be just as happy, if you could be a teacher and be 100% happy, then do that. However, if you're going to be a teacher and you're only going to be 99% happy and being a doctor is going to make you 100% happy, do that. Because there's... As a person who was a crooked arrow, I did a lot of other things before I came to medical school. There was nothing that was more satisfying than when I was sitting in an exam or sitting in in a room and I was like, ugh, like I've been studying for 12 hours. I've been doing all this stuff. I paid all this money for someone to do an examination on me, but there's nowhere else I'd rather be. And there's such wonderful reassurance in that. And I've seen my, some of my colleagues who now are doctors and are like, man, I could have just done something else. Like, I don't know why, you know, I, like I have all this medical debt, but I have to be a doctor because that pays the bills. So I, I spent my college time trying to figure out what else I could do. And at the end of the day, it wasn't, it was medicine. So I say use college to really explore everything you're interested in. Take your prereqs. I took my prereqs. Take your prereqs, but still explore. We have got 15 minutes. All right. What are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about New Amsterdam. All right. So let me preface this for our listeners. I have once again dragged Marguerite into watching a horrible medical show. I'm have no visions of grandeur that this is like well written or well thought out. This is not a documentary. The last time we spoke, she was like, this wouldn't be in that. This is not a documentary. I understand this. This is for entertainment purposes. Um, but I think it's horrible in a different way. And I think it shows a different 
side of medicine and a different side of humanity of the people who practice it. So I'm actually enjoying it. Uh, I told her that I'm now watching for entertainment purposes, to which she said, you do weird things for entertainment purposes. She does. Uh, <laughs> this, this is not one of them. This is, this is a TV show <laughs> that many people watch. So New Amsterdam preface, not preface, premise. The premise is that New Amsterdam Hospital in New York City has a new chief of medicine, and this person's here to shake it up. But anyone who has run a nonprofit will tell you there is no mission without a margin. No mission with no margin, right? And it's supposed to be a uh, it's supposed to be a public hospital, right? Mm-hmm. So um, this is supposed to be uh, funded by the city. And I think this, I like this because New York City does have a lot of public hospitals. I have a friend of mine right now who's doing a fellowship with New York City public hospital system. Um, And they do serve, you know, everybody. And people would be surprised that people think, oh, it's just, you know, poor people who go. But no, they serve everybody. And you're right. There's no mission, no margin. Um, But I also think that when it comes to public institutions, um, there there is a certain amount of big thinking that has to happen. And I've seen way too many nonprofit or public institutions where this, oh, we're just here to, to serve the least served, or we're just a public, we're just a, and when, when you get into an institution thinking that way, they never, I've never found an institution that succeeds. If you're not able to come in and think big, I'm going to deliver big because my problem is big. Mm -hmm. Um, Then that's when I see people and institutions actually make changes. So that I, that is one of the things that I appreciated about him to, to be able to say, we serve a massive city. So we got to do some big things. Mm -hmm. So I think that is reasonable, but he comes in and he can't, he fires all of the thoracic surgeon. Which is funny because he's supposed to be the chief of medicine, not the chief of surgery. Right. (laughs) But he's fires all the thoracic surgeons and then they're like oh wait we had surgeries today like how are you gonna do that yeah and you like, can't maintain being like a, a trauma center if you don't have the right surgeons um yeah you can't just like fire like a whole department, department. Right. even though like later on he does admit that he fired them because they're they had some shady billing practices and they were also maybe doing unnecessary surgeries mm-hmm. like all things that you he, he was saying like that, who was it? Was it CMS? There was somebody who was going to shut him down anyway. So he he went ahead and did it first, which, you know, good dramatic writing, but you can't just be like, just kidding. We don't do that today. Maybe right. next week. No. Right. Um, so that was one thing. The other thing that kind of um, bothered me is, so it follows a couple of different departments. It follows, I think... An internal medicine guy. Um, he said he was supposed to be internal medicine, but then he also said he was the 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 director of neuro, which is it made no sense. But you see him doing just general med general like hospitalist work. Um, yeah, he's a neurologist. 
Right, but he's doing like basic medicine, like all the pla- all over the place. He seems like he's doing just internist medicine. No, he only does neuros cases. Okay. Except for, except for the one time he prescribes dialysis. Right. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. You yeah. have a neurosurgeon who's like, let's do dialysis. It's like, oh, yeah. Neuros- yeah, that was the, like, yeah, like in between. My favorite part about that was like they're doing dialysis in between a court case as mm-hmm. if it didn't take time to like place a line. Mm-hmm. Get a dialysis machine, <laughs> and for the kids to actually recover because dialysis is exhausting. exhausting. For your first time, yeah, yeah. But he's he is supposed to be a neurologist. Okay, so and there's also a pediatric psychiatrist, which I thought was very interesting because you don't often see pediatric psychiatry, even though that is something that does commonly happen in hospital work. Um, but. Then you have this pediatric psychiatrist breaking all the rules and is violating all of HIPAA by like stealing this girl's journal and like giving it to somebody else to read. And I'm like, did he get a release for that? Like, that is ridiculous. This is is what I'm saying. It is not a documentary. But this is another thing that I like that it brought up about um, medicine that we don't think about. So so the storyline with that one was that the patient had been physically and sexually abused in foster care and mm-hmm. the physician was afraid of releasing her to foster care. He felt it was no longer a safe situation for her. So he's trying to find a safer foster care system um, placement because his prescription was indefinite hospitalization. The right. idea of like, I can't guarantee her safety outside of these walls. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to keep her in these walls. The idea that somebody would be so desperate to, to keep a patient safe. Um, recently, foster care is starting to come up in um, the media, you know, between This Is Us, that movie about foster care with Marky Mark. I don't know the name of it. There was a movie about foster care with Marky Mark? Yeah, I think it's called Instant Family. Oh, it's just, it's out just right now. Yeah, it's out right now. Yeah. Um, and, and this, so for a, a group of people who are, thoroughly overlooked and often blamed for the horrible situations that they find themselves in and have a hard time working through. I'm happy to see that we may be maybe a little bit of attention, but we're calling some kind of attention to the needs of the kids who are placed in a massive system that often fails them. So there was also this question of when ER doc breaks all um, oh, gosh. biohazard and just like runs into this room to save the child and then has to be sequestered herself and it turns out that the kid didn't have Ebola but, and she comes out everyone applauds and I'm like no that does not happen when she comes out her risk manager takes her aside and says now we have to have a conversation <laughs> like, you're not like, yeah, I will say if there's one group of physicians who are going to like run into a room and be like, I will save you despite this flesh eating disease, it would be an, ER an emergency medicine physician. Me and my hospitalist crew would be like, um, I need to gown. Do you, yes. have, do you have the yellow? You have the yellow gown? Do you have the, I want the, the yellow I gown. The hood. Uh, that's not my N95. Can I exactly. get my, hold on one minute, one minute, please. Can I get my N95? <laughs> like, like, yeah. So, but and yeah, that, that's. N95 is a particulate mask, a mask yeah. that actually will block even very small yeah, particles, yeah, including yeah, 
which is interesting because for people who work in germy places, you know, hospitals tend to be germaphobes. <laughs> we we tend to be like, oh, that looks gross. Uh, just hold on, let me get eight pairs of gloves. You know. <laughs> um. So, and then I have one last bad thing, and I have one good thing. Okay. Last bad thing is when his wife comes in and she's bleeding and then like, oh, there's a placenta previa. And like, so this was the point where even my husband, Stefan, was like yelling at the screen. Like that part is like side. She's not a patient. He was like, she would have, like, did she have no prenatal care? Like how, like you would have known she had placenta previa from like her first ultrasound, if moreover her 20 week ultrasound. And this woman's supposed to be like at the end of her second trimester, you would know she had a previa. Like this is ridiculous. I took that more to show that his life is like a mess, you know, like he's starting this new job. His wife has kicked him out. The wife is like this guy's life. is just a mess. Is what so, I took that to to add to. So now I'm going to tell about the one good thing. Okay. And the thing that I thought that it did bring to light that I thought was I really appreciated, especially they talk about a little bit more in the second episode, is the fact that medicine is really hard on partners and families. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a reason why doctors are one of the most divorced people in the United States, and it's because our job demands a lot of us. We are trained to put patients above ourselves and often above our family. So it actually, I actually appreciated the fact that it was bringing this element to light. The fact that, yeah, he had a job and she had a job and, you know, she quit, but he didn't. And like, and it's, that is such a true fact of, medicine is that it is really hard as watching it then as because it it talks about how medicine affects relationships a lot there's there's the not to give it away but the a parent child relationship situation of one of the docs comes out well you know the 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 neurologist who said he didn't have a doc children and he calls his kid at the end of the episode like it's your father yeah Yeah. so So I I will say that I appreciate that element being brought in because I don't feel like that is often noted or talked about in, in, you know, in media that Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it is hard on us too, both emotionally, which we see in the psychiatrists, but also with our, our families. Yeah. Yeah. I think So the things that I appreciated about this is thus far, no one is playing golf. That's like true. 18 holes before they go do a surgery at noon and yep. acting like they're, you know, like the, the, do you recognize the cardiothoracic surgeon guy who yeah. got left over yeah. as the, he's like the attending yeah. from the resident. I'm like, is this dude typecast? Like, was he a doctor at some point in time when they were like, mm-hmm. I'm sure you continue to be the attending on every show. Right. You know? um, so, yeah, that's that's something that I did appreciate. And I also appreciated the specialties that they picked. To yes. Follow because it's very easy to follow emergency medicine because that's fast paced and sexy. You know, people come in, you got some kind of weird rash. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. 
you know, it's the plague, you know, right. <laughs> so, and that there's entertainment value in that, yeah. you know, <laughs> um, but picking a neurologist, I thought was really, really good because there's nothing I think more distressing than feeling like your body is betraying you. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times with neurologic conditions, yeah. it's just that my arm doesn't work anymore. Um, my vision is gone. Um, I keep having these seizures. And so I thought that was really interesting. And, and um, though they, it may seem that he comes across as a, an internist, neurologists are really bright people and they really do have to have to to be able to sift through Mm -hmm. a lot of things to to often get down to the thing that's causing a symptom absolutely Um, so i i I appreciate that he is a very methodical like he he comes across to me as an old school methodical doctor you can't rush him Nope. He's got, he's got his way that he does things Mm -hmm. um, and they, and it works and it's worked for him for 50 years, you know, and then you may be frustrated, but at the end you're like, Oh my goodness. You know? So I, yeah, yeah. I appreciated that. Um, I appreciated that the um, chief of emergency medicine was a woman. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And that um, she also seems to really be driven towards patient care when she got rid of the waiting room and replaced it with more beds and nursing, um, you know, but, but then they also touch on her use of stimulants. Right. There is a bias against non-Judeo-Christian religions. And, you know, if the family had come in and said, Hey, we want to pray over our patient and give her a cross to hold, they would have been like, okay, mm-hmm. but because this was a religion he was not familiar with, one that involved, you know, other ceremonies, he was like, no, 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 you can't do that. Mm-hmm. And I actually really appreciated the fact that it does show that little bit of a bias. It's really common in medicine and really common in America yeah. against non-Judeo-Christian religions. Yeah. So. I actually appreciated that part, even if it was done a little bit for show, mm-hmm. just to kind of point out like, hey, like, just because it's not your religion, doesn't mean that this isn't a tradition that is important to them and may need to be done for them. Yeah. And and, and I think um, physicians can often discount how much uh, religion and culture and um, spiritual beliefs really help patients uh, support them through their illness and, and guide them and can make, make or break, you know, absolutely tolerate a treatment. Um, And so, yeah, I, I'm, I will say um, there is an exchange between the neurologist and a patient in episode four that I thoroughly enjoy. Okay. Um, So if you want to skip three and go to four, um, I understand. Uh, yes, this is I'll not watch winning. Three. I'll watch three. That's fine. Yeah, it's not winning awards anytime soon. And yes, they they really do. I'm. There are a whole bunch of physicians who would be willing to help them go over a script. I mean, they well, have to be able to find somebody. I get it. The interesting thing. It is actually based off of a book, which is a memoir um, called Twelve Patients." 
of a new medical director at New Amsterdam Hospital. Yeah. So I actually have the book now on my Audible list. So I may listen to it because like I can see like nuggets of how this could be like really awesome and great despite like the ridiculousness of it. Yeah. I, I think I think it's one of the better ones. I I agree. I think so far it is better. If you give me the option, though, I'm still watching the Great British Bake Off. I feel with you on that. You, okay. you know there was an American version. It's probably not as good. It got canceled in like three episodes because oh. one of the guys was like sexually gross. Oh. Well, see, wasn't as good. Yeah. So I think they're having like another version of it pretty soon for christmas oh there is a christmas one up on netflix right now yeah yeah so well as usual way too much fun chatting it up i think we touched all the highlights Mm -hmm. and um i thoroughly enjoyed today's conversation because absolutely right there's tons of things you can use if someone's listening and thinking oh i'm not interested in being a doctor but i'm interested in other things in medicine please continue to write uh, us because the truth is that caring for a patient it takes all sorts of skills absolutely um and physicians lean on different types of providers all the time and you will be contributing and but there's also the fact that a lot of these careers have very circumscribed ways of going about education and internships and things like that, that you may not um, understand. And so we can be helpful with that. You know, and even if you have questions about like, you know, what is life like as a doctor or, you know, really how is internist different than medpeds or any of those types of things, you know, feel, feel free to send those as well. And Monique, what is your oh so clever Twitter handle? Ugh. It's Dr. Mo's best. Go ahead and tweet at me and I will reset my password so I can get (laughs) back into Twitter and tweet back at you, my friends. And mine is Dr. Dr. Underscore Marguerite, M-A-R-G-A-R-E-T-T-E-M-D. So not nearly as clever. clever. Um, And Dr. Mo's with the E, M-O-E-S, Dr. Mo's best. And our email address is tired doctors talking at gmail very simple That's super straightforward yeah. and you can always send questions there too so um yeah this was fun you this know this was fun thank you for being patient as we try to catch up to each other through the holidays yes please sit down put your feet up enjoy your pregnancy i am going to do my best to acknowledge when my body requires me to rest and not to be annoyed about it just yeah just enjoy it just enjoy your pregnancy because it is a finite amount of time it's true and and you're getting to that point where like stuff starts getting real hard to do so Uh i used to like (laughs) i would walk around the supermarket and ask other people to get stuff from the bottom shelf (laughs) like uh can, can you get those chickpeas because honestly, if I get down on the ground, I'm not getting back up, buddy. <laughs> and I, I humor you. So enjoy it. 
except I don't uh, quote unquote look that pregnant. That's the other annoying thing. Yeah, um, I hate people, I, yeah, I don't understand why people feel like they can comment on women's bodies just because they're pregnant. Just it just means that you you're glowing. You're carrying yeah. it well. Yeah. So go go glow. Go relax. <laughs> enjoy yourself, and we'll catch up later. Bye. Later. Bye. Bye, folks. Thank <laughs> you.